Today, my guest is Anna Rubenkamp. She's an incredible sculptor and stone carver, and she does a lot of historical restoration work, which has taken her from the UK to France and to Italy. I highly recommend that you check out her Instagram or her website, AnnaRubenkamp.com, to get some context for today's discussion because her work is incredible. We talk a lot about what it means to be an artist, both how people romanticize all the hard work that actually happens, and how being an artist cultivates a different way of seeing. So as we dive into this conversation, let me invite you to share in this journey of developing the discipline and habit of listening. Enjoy. What uh, does sculpting and stone carving really bring um, in terms of a unique contribution to the human experience? And full disclosure, the way that I found you is my son, uh, I homeschool him. And so we were looking up sculpting videos and I found the video of you on National Geographic. And (laughs) uh, I was like, one, I love the answers you gave, uh, but also just. I'm a huge fan of your work. I mean, just going through and it's just gorgeous. And uh, it was inspiring for him as well. I mean, he's six. So, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe well, not working with the power crowd. tools yet, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but really, really cool. Uh, so before we get into that, that question of that unique contribution, though, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, a little bit how you got interested in this. Um, uh, how did you get interested in stone cutting? What was that path like? Um, I mean, it's seems uh it was kind of an accident um i did a a history degree in montreal and didn't really Mm. know what i wanted to do after that um and then was traveling around europe and saw some stonemasons working on the outside of cathedral and i didn't really know what they were doing at the time but i was like that looks really cool i'm gonna find out how to do that (laughs) and um so when i came when i went back to canada where i'm from originally um I was trying to find places to study, and unfortunately, Canada is a lovely place, but doesn't really have the infrastructure in place to train stonemasons. So found a place to study, Weymouth College in uh, Dorset, in the southwest of London, um, and called them up, and they were like, yes, we would like to take your international student fees, and um, basically kind of went over <laughs> there, like on very short notice and kind of never left. <laughs> um, and that was, yeah, a long time ago. Um, yeah, I think slowly my interests became a bit more specific because um, masonry is very much mm. is is a sort of a very specific in some ways, but a very broad, much more uh, broad trade, um, and it's more sort of the building side of um, an architectural side of stonework, and then I sort of slowly became more and more interested in the more artistic side of stonework, and then went to art school in London, and so yeah, here I am. Oh, that's so cool. And so for those closest to you, was that kind of a surprise to them that you're all of a sudden like, hey, I studied history, but I saw some people working on like on some stone outside a building and I want to do that. Were they like, oh, well, that's new. Or was that they're kind of like, yeah, could kind of see that coming. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I think I told my parents and uh, I think my dad, who uh, was just like happy that I'd found something that I seemed excited about and was like, I'm mm. fairly fairly introverted naturally and I it sort of broke me out of my 
bubble and I was sort of calling random carvers in France and uh, like being like, can I come over? Can I just like show up at your workshop and you can teach me? And they were like, please, please stop calling us. Um, and so he was actually, he was actually the one who found Weymouth College and was like, what about this? And so, um, no, they were very, very, very supportive. Um, maybe a little bit surprised, but I come from a quite artistic family. So uh, I think they were just keen to see me do something I was excited about. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. So for you, uh, you started to morph from kind of masonry. You went into art school. Uh, what was that journey like? I mean, you count, you said you mentioned come from uh, an artistic family. So it, there is that move from like building, you know, you mentioned that with masonry to kind of more the artistic side. What was that journey like? You mentioned a little bit about it, but. Um, I think, I mean, when I was a stonemason and I did an apprenticeship, a three-year apprenticeship with a restoration, uh, a company that specialized mostly in restoration. And that's sort of, that's generally sort of the bread and butter in the UK, at least, uh, of sort of how stone carvers yeah. make money. Um, and so I'd be on, I'd be traveling around and staying in like tiny little towns in sort of various parts of the like Midlands and Southwest um, and anytime there was any sort of fun stuff to do, they always got someone else to do it. And we were like, hmm, that looks like fun. And all we're doing is windowsills and, um, cladding, which is very like takes, takes skill, but is like a bit repetitive after a while. And so, um, I was like, I would, I would quite like to do what that other guy is doing the, the guy that they hired specifically. So, um, and then one of, um, one of my friends who, uh, I trained with, uh, went to City and Guilds and said good, really good things about it. So I followed in his footsteps. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, as I'm looking here, um, what, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking, I watched the video and I'm, I'm kind of looking through your website. Is there a specific stone that you tend to work with? Or do you have a favorite when you can get to work with it? Um, well, I, um, in Dorset, in the Southwest, where I trained, um, you have the Isle, um, the Isle of Portland, which is, I think it counts as like an isthmus or a peninsula. It's like joined by a land bridge. Anyway, not important. Um, but that is where um, Portland stone comes from, which is a quite hmm. fairly sort of like medium density limestone. And it's what, um, it's basically what is was used by um, stonemasons and architects to rebuild London after the Great Fire. So St. Paul's Cathedral is made out of Portland, oh, and a lot of Christopher Wren churches are made out of Portland. And it's sort of like a like a light gray color. It weathers really well. It takes detail really well. Um, and so that's what I trained. Uh, that's what I learned on. And so that's sort of the main stone that I work with. Um, yeah. Got it. Yeah. No, the um, and you mentioned this, and this was really fascinating to me in the National Geographic video, um, because you know even I, I do digital marketing for my day job, and so I see things that other people don't see, right? Like you know the way that people like do things on their phone, and I'm like, you have no idea how they're like manipulating you right now. Um, but you mentioned in the National Geographic video, uh, you described the human. Uh, face and the, the body is this contiguous surface, right? Like that people often see like a chin and, and lips and nose, but it's actually you have the skin and it's this kind of continuous thing. Uh, mm -hmm. Is there anything else or even if you want to expound on that, uh, has moving into stone cutting changed your vision of the world? Uh, I mean, it definitely um, 
I think one of the the main things that I really appreciated about uh, going to art school, uh, I mean, mm. I think we all showed up and we were all different ages and had different backgrounds. There were people who were graphic designers and architects and then people who are stonemasons like me. And um, I think we all just wanted to show up and be like, please give us a chisel now and like, let us just do whatever we wanted. And they were like, calm down, put the chisel down. You need to go and learn how to draw first um, and learn how to model in clay. You need to learn anatomy, um, both animal and human. You need to learn facial anatomy. You need to learn like the foundations of the forms that you're then going to try and express in stone. Um, and I think that's like, that's like the biggest difference I noticed between people who uh, are formally trained in um, stone carving and maybe people who have sort of acquired skill through other means. Um, but to, um, leading into your question, um, I definitely the more the more anatomy I study, the more I notice it. Um, when I probably makes me unsettling to talk to at a party if I see someone who has an interesting face, um, <laughs> and so you sort of like. Um, I think if you the more um, the more you model the human face or the human body. Um, the more you sort of notice the variations in how anatomy is formed and um, like even mm -hmm. like something like the forehead, which you think would be like pretty much the same for everybody. And it's a flat, like looks like a flat surface. Surely it's easy. Mm -hmm. um, but then you try and model someone's forehead and you realize that everyone is, is slightly different and everyone's has different nodules here and different sort of ways the muscle. It's all, I mean, it's all basically the same thing but it all sort of expresses itself differently and that's really fascinating yeah that is fascinating and uh i, I even see it you know a lot of uh, the work on your website seems to deal with cloth uh are you kind of fascinated with contiguous surfaces like that do you see a connection between the way that you model cloth and the way you model human skin um yeah there's a definite um there's a definite similarity and one of the projects I did when I was the fellow at City and Guilds was a portrait of my uh, my dad, um, and I mean he might not appreciate me describing it this way, but um, <laughs> I wanted to <laughs> I won't tell him um, he yes. um, <laughs> I I mean without speaking about him specifically um, when people get old their skin starts to sag. And mm. so I wanted to do a basically mo model and then carve a human torso kind of in a similar way of like classical Greek and classical Roman sculpture, which is always very much a celebration of the youth and beauty and uh, everyone's always ripped and yeah, yeah. Um, all the muscles are in incredibly well defined and I've got like no body fat. Um, and so I wanted to sort of do a bit of a play on that and... Uh, yeah, model someone who was a bit older, who wasn't necessarily overweight, but um, yeah, so sort of. Uh, but not David. A different comp. Not David. Yeah, a different. Yes. Yeah, just I think yeah, um, and when in sorry, this is a bit of a roundabout way, but oh no, um, this is great. In <laughs> uh, in like life drawing classes, for example. Um, 
when I tell people that like you'll draw naked people, they're like, oh, well, that must be like really uncomfortable just to have like super fit like models who come in and um, like ballet dancers. And that must be like really amazing. And I was like, no, in fact, like the, the best people to model are people who have like interesting body shapes and a variety of body shapes and people who have like weight distribution in a, in a unique way or mm. um, have had like like show that they've been living, that they've lived in their bodies. Um, and who aren't just like perfect, perfect specimens. Cause that's actually quite boring to draw. Um, cause so, that's how you're taught, right? That you're yes. taught with the perfect. And so yeah. you're like, well, I've already done this. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's really, yeah. Yeah. That, and I like would never the, have thought of it that way. Yeah. The more fun. <laughs> yeah. So yes. my dad, um, yeah. not, a, not a perfect <laughs> body, but, uh, and, um, yeah, what I'm not that familiar with because he, uh, we weren't a particularly naked family growing up, so I haven't seen him with a shirt off since I was a kid. And so it was an interesting exchange with him um, when I would go home for holidays and uh, he would sit and I would draw him and then take my drawings back to the UK and model him from that. Um, it was a, yeah. And I, sorry, How did that, you asked uh, about drapery. Um <laughs> No, no, like, um, I, well, I mean, this is part yeah. of it, like, because there's definitely, uh, you seem to be fascinated with, and I could be all wet here, but like, there's a lot of cloth, and then your discussion about human skin, it seems to connect, and so, that, that's, I mean, you talking about human skin like this, it's definitely answering my question. Yeah, so, and tell I, me everything a little bit about is just about how, like, yeah, I think everything is just... Uh, I'm interested in, I mean, there's obviously the, the trick of trying to make something that is soft and pliable, look soft and pliable in a very hard material and a hard permanent material. So there's the, yeah, the optical yeah. illusion of that, which is fun. And there's also like, yeah, it's, it's nice to um, explore how uh, gravity affects certain things. Um, and Drapery is, uh, I mean, in um, like Renaissance Italy, they would have, and I, they probably still do because they're kind of miles ahead of us in many ways, but Italian sculptors would have people who were only, they were masters of one specific type of carving. There'd be one guy who would do the hair, one guy who would do the face, and like one guy who would do the drapery, oh, wow. and that would be all he would do. Um, and it's very much an art, uh, an art in itself. And I, I think I became really fascinated with it with it when I was in in art school and um yeah kind of badgered my tutors to let me do it maybe maybe against better advice of studying sort of historical ornament which is obviously very useful but um yeah I've always been fascinated by it and just the way that the the treatment of it in stone um always looks just it always looks amazing yeah. And I also noticed, and this is like, okay, so I did my uh, bachelor's in history. So that's about the extent of my sculpting knowledge. So I know that for the, you know, classically, they didn't put eyes in, right? And I noticed that you did. Is there a reason that you decided that you have decided to put eyes in? What, what's the uh, thought process behind putting eyes into a, a statue? Uh, well, I think... Historically, um, I'm not sure if this was across the board, uh, but I mean, the, uh, I've been wrong stone, before, so feel free to correct me. <laughs> uh, no, well, I'm, I know some of them were just left. Um, I'm not really sure. So, um, some, uh, 
busts and portraits would have been painted. So they would have painted the eyes in. Um, and that, oh, okay. that is one reason. I'm not sure if that's always the reason, but in a classical sculpture, that's one reason. Um, and then when you get towards the, um, towards the medieval period and then into the Renaissance, they started putting pupils in. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I think I've just never, I don't know if I have a really good answer for that. Um, I think I always just feel that if you're trying to make something look as realistic as possible, you want to give it, I mean, I'll usually leave it until the very end. And then it's once you put the eyes in, then that really is what grounds, grounds the piece and gives it presence, hopefully, um, if you're successful with it. Yeah. So you're, you're talking here, and I think this is a great uh, segue. Uh, what is your goal when you're creating a sculpture? So, you know, so obviously it's not like just recreating uh, the past, right? Like a lot of what you're doing is uh, some kind of realistic representation. Do you have, uh, uh, what, what are you trying to do when you, when you look at somebody and you try and recreate that? Um, sorry, do you mean um, like for a, a portrait or just for like a piece in general? Uh, let's say for a piece in general. What's, if you have like a general philosophy of art even? <laughs> um, no, I, I know there's no, there's nothing uh, controversial about this at all, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I, I'm always just trying to sort of question um, what, uh, what sort of area I haven't explored fully yet. Um, and mm. I try and like when I was at college and I think even now, like I'm very aware that there are like many gaps in my knowledge and, um, it's important to try things that scare you and things that you might not think may even work in stone. And you try and push certain stones farther than is perhaps, perhaps wise. Um, and, um, I think s stone carving in particular probably more than other kinds of sculpture um, because it's such a multi-step process and it takes so long to make anything. Um, it's, and I suppose that not that many people do it. Um, it's not really had to evolve in terms of like a, in terms of a, like a conceptual way, the way other mediums have had to. Um, if you look at um, people like painters, um, it's not enough just to be able to make something that looks beautiful or it's not even just enough to make a landscape or a portrait of someone you have to like um that medium has been for has has been forced to evolve in order to stay relevant and i think stone yeah. carvers maybe haven't had that same impetus and i mean stone is no longer a primary building material um and we can like there especially in london there's so many old buildings that need restoration and so um mm. I think if I had an ethos or a motivation, it's to try and push the medium forward. It's not just about, um, I think a lot of, I, I mean, I went through this of just like, when you learn how to copy something um, or you learn how to carve something for the first time and you're like, ha ha, look, I did it. I carved a thing and it's amazing. Like, yay, um, give me all the awards. And <laughs> I the awards. think we have... A, <laughs> 
just give me everything. Um, you're welcome, all of you. And I think, <laughs> I think for for the for the art form to survive, because so I mm. tell so many people that I'm a stone carver, and they're like, I didn't even know that that existed. Um, so I think if we want to stay relevant, then we've got to mm. we got to keep pushing it. Um, and it has to be about more than just like I carved a thing. It has to be something about more than that. So what are you exploring exactly? Do you have like a, a name for that thing that you're exploring? Is it the medium itself? Is it some kind of connection between you and the culture? Um, I think I like, uh, I always love it when uh, a piece of art doesn't give you everything that you need in order to understand it or you don't sense that the artist is trying to like be like this is what this means and you must feel this emotion when you look at it um i think i there's like certain elements that i would like to include i i think it has to it has to be well balanced the composition has to be like beautiful and graceful um it um yeah it has to be effective as a piece of as a as a visual spectacle um it has to have some uh some sort of tie to the past whether that be including ornament or um portraiture or something mm. like that and it also um i like to leave as much texture on my work as possible because i think that that just makes it that much more interesting it makes you want to come up and touch it um and it always makes me really sad when uh if i um have work in an art show then there's always like no touching signs everywhere and like that's such a big part i can understand people not wanting you to touch a painting uh right right uh that's that's a big no-no uh i've been told um but stone carving especially like that that should be explored like in a tactile way i think um that was something i meant to ask you so about because I, I, I noticed like, you left that the you left that rougher texture that's really interesting <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Also, how much um, my four and six year old would love draw you in. touching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tactile. That's a, a, like uh, my taking my four year old anywhere with with art is is a holy terror. So to have something that, you know, uh, hopefully it'd be a big enough piece. He couldn't knock it over. That would that might be an issue. But um, yeah, that's uh, and I think that appeals to all of us that that, that idea of like uh, involving more than just our eyes and. Um, that I, I think there's something very human about the desire to touch. That's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I ever have a solo show, then uh, yeah, touching will be encouraged. Really interesting. Uh, do you think? Um, do you think there are any consequences? Uh, and do you do you see this when you're interacting with people? You know, people tend to be on their phones. Uh, there is like kind of getting drawn into the digital world. Do you do you feel any loss? with that kind of prioritization of different senses, like obviously touch is not as big a deal in the digital world. Do you ever feel that when you're talking to people? I mean, I, I mean, as it relates to my work, maybe, um, I, I think I maybe always, and maybe just cause I, uh, I'm really excited about my job and I want everyone to be, um, but there's always that moment when you meet someone for the first time and you tell them that you're a stone carver and you either see their eyes completely glaze over or you, they get a panic <laughs> look in their eye because they don't actually know what that is and they don't know what to ask and they don't want to look stupid. And so I've learned when I was younger, I'd be like, I'm a stone carver. 
and then like wait for the silence and follow up question and be like, yes. Um, <laughs> and now I have to say I'm a stone carver and then follow that up with a monologue about like in four, 400 BC, uh, they built the uh, Parthenon and um, you, like it's, you don't really have a basis of reference um, the way someone who is an accountant or a doctor or teacher um, mm. would have. So you have to sort of like on the fly gauge someone's level of engagement with you and hope that they're into it. And if they're not, then hopefully they will just like walk away. Um, but uh, I think because like, I mean, there's, yeah, you have to obviously promote yourself and take pictures of your work and exist in a um, in a digital space as well, but my day-to-day -day life is incredibly tactile and very immediate. And so you want everyone else to be excited about that, um, and want to know more. And, um, so yeah, the, like the best conversations are, uh, when people just ask unexpected things or, uh, even just admit that like they have no idea what that involves, but then just sort of prompt you to keep going, which is very nice. Well, I'm glad I got the intro video before I got to talk to you then, you know, so I, like I got to see, I showed uh, your website to my wife and she was like, oh, that's super badass. Like you have like the, the mask and everything. It's not like, you know, like people think of like the chisel and the, the hammer and you have like clouds of smoke around. Um, it's a fascinating art form to me. It's so cool. Uh, when you, um, so it, it, forgive me, this is a question that occurs to me because I'm in, I'm in uh, central Florida and I'm surrounded by, I'm kind of in a you know, retirement area of Florida. So there's a lot of old people and often art is uh, considered like a hobby or like a, a form of therapy even. Um, and, and as such, it's often not taken very seriously, right? They have art shows here, but it's like a bunch of like old ladies doing like the same tree or beach scene, you know? <laughs> Yeah. What, what, uh, <laughs> if you understand what I'm talking about, the, um, where does the seriousness come? Uh, and what is, what is the value that you bring as an artist to the world? That is a, that is a very big question. Yes. Oh, yeah, I know. It's okay. Take your time. That's not that. That is, I, I believe there is value. And I mean, I honestly, I've done a lot of my, philosophy and philosophy of art so like this is an important question to me but i also i'm not <laughs> i've done some writing but i'm not like a great artist so i'm very interested in your perspective on that like when you do art why is it important to you i mean i think i um to reference the video that you saw uh of me um i think i have always i've always been searching for uh ever since I was little, even if it didn't come in a like specifically artistic form. Um, I've always like danced and acted and sang and um, wrote like really terrible vampire fiction when I was 13. <laughs> I've always like needed a creative outsource, like mm. um, some kind of creative output. Um, and I think when I found stone carving, mm. um, uh, I just immediately knew that that was like, I needed to find some way of being able to do that. Um, and other forms of sculpture for some reason, I mean, it, you have to be versatile if you want to make it as 
any kind of artist these days, you need to have multiple skill sets. And as a stone carver, I need to be able to, um, I mean, I have a, a job coming up that will involve, I'll have to go to site and take a mold of something that has been become damaged and then take the mold back to my workshop and make a cast and then model something onto that cast. And so given like I work in restoration quite a bit. And so each job is a, um, has its own unique problem solving ability. And you have to be able to say like, yes, I know how to do that. Uh, and I can give you the product that you've asked for. Um, and so when it comes to like my own personal work, I think that drive still exists because, and there has to be, there has to be a reason to carry on doing this. There has to be a reason to sort of put, put these things out in the world and expect people to come and look, look at them. And like, me and my colleagues, we spend a lot of time, it's a quite a solitary job, and we spend a lot of time just covered in dust and not like there are days that go by when I don't speak to that many people. And, um, but then the opposite of that is you need to, um, need to share the work and show people what's possible. Hmm. Yeah. I, and it's such a, uh, it's such an odd pressure that everyone has to be their own marketer now. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of unfair because you really have to do two different jobs. Or you have to like make it so big, which is not always under your control, right? Like someone has to like see you and pick you up to where you can hire someone to do that for you. Um, that's very, very difficult. Um, as a kind of person who does that for people, that's, <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the yeah, artists are notoriously you, terrible at that. Right. Yeah. Cause, and I, you know, it's funny. I really, I enjoy learning and I thought I would enjoy teaching. And what I found is I am good at certain aspects of teaching, but what I'm really bad at is motivating other people to learn, right? Because I'm <laughs> like, you know, like, I'm like, I don't like, I'd have a kid in the back of the class who wasn't paying attention. And I'm like, I, I don't get it. You know what I mean? I don't sympathize with that. And I think part of the challenge for artists, right, is you're like, people like, so what? And you're like, what do you mean? So what? It's awesome. How do you not see this? Like, it's so obvious to you why it's <laughs> yeah. beautiful. Uh, Flannery O'Connor has a really good essay on this where she kept peacocks and she's like, there's just some people in the world, some handyman came to the farm and was just like, why do you keep these things? They're annoying. They're loud. And as he was leaving, the peacock spread its tail and he looked at it and she like looked at him and looked at the tail and was like waiting for that aha moment. He was just like, yeah, I don't get it. And he just like walked off, you know, and she's like, <laughs> how do you like, how do you not get it? Um, and so there is that like. Uh, there's always been that tension between like philosophy and art of um, ju of justification when really, I mean, even if there were, like someone could prove without a doubt that art shouldn't exist, people would still do it. And that's why I think like it doesn't really need justification. Um, and I, I've heard that argument before. I think it's, there's something very real about that. There's something in the human spirit that requires uh, what you do, you know, the, the beauty that uh, you create. Um, what do people actually, let me go with this question first. You, you mentioned being attracted to the permanence of what you, of what you do. Uh, do you, is there something special about the way that the stone, I mean, you mentioned even very early on in this conversation, the idea of presence. Um, do you mind, uh, expounding on that a little bit? Um, yeah, uh, I guess, um, I think that's one of the reasons I, Um, I mean, I mentioned sort of the multi-step process that's involved in making, at least that I take in making a carving. Um, 
you start with sketches and then you move into clay and the clay is where you work out all the problems you might have with it and in terms of composition and if you want to change something around it's quite easy and we had a um a teacher who used to sort of come up to you and you just finished making something that you thought was amazing and then she'd just sort of like take a cheese wire and just cut the face off of it and and then (laughs) tell you to start again just to like teach you not to be precious about it and uh, obviously that's a horrifying moment but it does help um in terms of sort of teaching you that like if something is incorrect at that stage, you need to fix it because you can't change it once it's in the stone. You don't want to be working mm. that out in a permanent, um, in a permanent form. And like, I get the question of a lot of like, well, what happens if you make a mistake? And you're like, well, that's that's it. That's the point. Um, it's it's there, um, and you work yeah. around it, or <laughs> uh, or you quit and do something else. Yeah. Um, but and like different kinds of it's stone a very expensive have mistake. Um, so expensive. Um, yeah, I think they always <laughs> imagine that it's like that scene in Aladdin where they're on the on the magic carpet and they fly by the Sphinx and there's a guy just like chiseling the nose and it just breaks off. And I have to give like a really boring answer, which is like, actually, once you get to that stage of like fine detail, you're using like a tiny chisel. And so it's very like it's very unlikely that uh, you will make a mistake of that level. And they're never very satisfied with that. They always want to have you, imagine that. Have like, you ever done that? Have you ever done that, though? Have you ever made that big of a mistake? <laughs> uh, no, never, never. Oh, all right. So you were going to tell <laughs> us about the different types um, of stone, though. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, like the, the limestone that I normally work with is um, has a very opaque surface. And so it you can sort of play around with texture and shadow and it catches the light in a really interesting way and um can look quite austere and dramatic uh and then if you work in alabaster or marble then that diffuses the light and so you have a completely different effect um if you did a portrait in marble versus in in limestone um the marble portrait i mean that's why it's it's marble so it's like it's always going to be amazing and that's why all the italian masters use it um, it's also local to them, which is annoying. Um, but, uh, when you carve something in marble, um, yeah, it tends to look like it glows from within and has a life of its own, um, which is always fascinating. And yeah, there is something, uh, I think every, every stone carver, maybe every artist goes through, uh, a sort of roller coaster as you're making a piece of work where you're like, I this is the most amazing thing I've ever made. And then the next day you hate it and like want to destroy it. And then the next day is the best thing ever. Um, and hopefully by the end, usually for me, at least I'm pretty happy with the result at the end, um, enough to want to show it off. And, um, and I think the, probably the most exciting or the most satisfying part of my job is, is identifying an issue is like carving something to a state where I thought I was finished and then being like, uh, it's not right. And then going back into it and fixing that problem and then having mm. a, the desired result be like, oh, that was that was the issue with it. Um, and that I th- that's, I think, how you're as you get as you gain more skill and more years as a carver, that's how your skill manifests itself. It's not that you're just going to like nail it every time. It's that you're able to reflect and not just carve the same thing over and over again, because yeah, like I carved some stuff in art school that I thought was amazing at the time. And I look back at it now and I'm like, yikes. Um, and so if I'd peaked then, then I wouldn't be very good at my job. 
Right. There's that continual growth, which is uh, just an important part of life. Um, can you give a concrete yeah. example of a piece where you've seen it, it seemed finished, and then you thought back on it? How would you how would you change it? Like, what does that look like? What's that process? Um, for a finished piece? Well, you met, like, uh, do you have a specific piece you can talk about where you've done that? And you've been much happier with the after result? Sorry, I put you a little bit on the spot there. <laughs> just like going through, just check my Instagram quickly and trying to remember. Yes, what I've yeah, done. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> well, if you want to talk a little bit more about the process, that's fine too. If you can't think of a specific example off the top of your head, so. Um, well, I, this might be a s slight deviation from your question, but, um, the piece I finished most recently is, um, a bust of a, a woman with, um, flowers growing out of her head. And, um, I, I had it in my head for a little while and like, I'm like such a big fan of Salvador Dali. Like I love surrealist art. Um, I love Francis Bacon. Um, I love stuff that just like is a bit sort of um, slightly off-putting maybe. And um, that sort of plays with conventions and plays like has, has roots in classical um, classical art and then sort of like just twists it very so slightly. So I love Salvador mm. Dali's painting, Woman with the Head of Flowers. And so I wanted to do a bit of a play on that in, in stone. And um, so I did a portrait of a young woman and then uh, initially just was adding, like just got some artificial flowers and sort of like was like gluing them to her face and gluing the petals in various ways. And I didn't like, I felt that was like a, after a while it looked interesting, but it wasn't really getting the effect that I wanted. And, mm. um, so I took them all off and then started looking at, um, some of the books I have on Rococo and Baroque ornament, um, which is, um, bananas. It's like, it's usually done in wood carving, um, and wood and in wood carving, which I'm not jealous of at all. They can push wood in a way that they, that we could never do in stone because it has the grain in it. And so you can have wood carvings that are incredibly thin and finely detailed. Um, and so most, most Rococo and um, Baroque art ornament um, that's finely detailed is from Chippendale furniture or um, picture frames or mirror frames. Um, and so it's sort of trying to think, um, in that context of like trying to push stone a little bit farther. Uh, and so mm. I ended up modeling a lot of um, Baroque ornament um, and floral designs as they were sort of growing out of her head. And that ended up working a lot better. Um, so you find, so yeah, you often so find inspiration in other forms. So something like wood carving and you're like, okay, how can I take that? And that's part of your exploratory efforts with stone. Am I tracking with you there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Awesome. And um, yeah, I have a lot of friends who are wood carvers, and so I'll go and visit their workshops and sort of like um, be very um, excited about the kinds of work that they're doing. Um, and some of it is just, I mean, you can't carve stone to be a millimeter thick, and you can do that with wood, which is very annoying. Um, but um, <laughs> I think you can, <laughs> you can definitely, it definitely inspires me to try and push stone a little bit farther.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of even going back to that, uh, that intro talking about Central Florida art as therapy, as hobby. Um, so you do art all day. What do you do to unwind? Do you do more? Do you do more stone carving or do you do something else? What do you, what, what do you do to relax? Um, I, um, uh, I am involved in a local theater, uh, a local amateur theater group. Um, and, um, it sounds, yeah, it's really nerdy. Um, but that's, it's kind of the opposite of my job. Um, yeah, I like, yeah, spend some days completely alone and, uh, it's very unglamorous and, um, yeah, very solitary. And then you go from that to a theater space where you have to develop a completely different skill set um, and be on display in a way that you're not used to. Um, mm. And uh, I'm directing a play that is going to be on in April. And um, so having to be responsible for a group of people in that way is terrifying. Um but um, yeah, it's a nice, they're both a nice compliment, I think, to each other. Yeah, getting that uh, kind of social experience versus, uh, I get, you know, I mean, it takes hours what you do, right? And so you're, you're alone all day and then to be able to go out and um, definitely a much more fluid medium uh, acting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> versus uh, <Yeah. laughs> something like stone carving. Um, You've mentioned a couple different uh, schools of art. Do you, uh, is there any school of art that you find yourself, you mentioned surrealism with Salvador Dali. Uh, is there any schools of art that you tend to find yourself attracted towards? Or are there any that you tend to, you're like, that's not really me in terms of what you try and accomplish? Or do you not think in those terms? Um, I think I just, um, yeah, there's sort of, um, I think the the thing, I mean, when I was at university and studying history, the courses that I um, were, were sort of more drawn to, um, and I was not a very good student, but um, the ones that <laughs> really captured my interest um, were the ones about medieval architecture. So that's that was sort of the mm. basis of my, um, my love of carving before I even knew that I wanted to be a carver. Um, and... Most of those cathedrals and churches that I studied are in England, and so I was able to visit them when I finally moved here, which was nice. Um, and each um, each era of architecture in Britain, maybe specifically, um, has their own style and their own flair and their own way of sort of showing off what they can do. Um, and so, yeah, this is maybe a boring answer, but I don't really have a favorite. Um, I think it's nice to watch the evolution of how those um yeah the evolution of those forms and and you can see that in some cases it's not a not a not an issue of like a lack of skill in the carvers um and coming face to face with that sometimes on old buildings is incredibly humbling when you're like these people were using mm. chisels that didn't have tungsten inserts in them to make them sharper and last longer um and it wasn't in tempered steel and they didn't have power tools and um and yet they were able to make these amazing things. Um, yeah, it sort of keeps you keeps you a bit humble, which is good. And, and obviously, so for you, you find inspiration kind of in a lot of different places and even in that kind of exploratory effort, right? That's what you mentioned with Rococo 
when you're trying to push the stone itself, which in some ways it seems to be you're just trying to uh, explore the medium itself. That's an important part of this to you. You find inspiration in these different styles instead of seeing them as necessarily competing. Am I tracking with yeah. you there? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, so uh, do you have, uh, when you are finishing a piece and you say normally you're happy with the result, what is kind of the standard that you have in mind? What would you say is your standard of excellence for stone carving? When, when, when do you decide, like, I, am, I like this piece or I don't like this piece? Is there, is there a set of criteria? Is there a feeling that you get? I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a joke uh, among stone carvers that, like, it's never really done. Um, it's... It's done when the client needs it on site. Um, <laughs> and I can't really, I don't know if I can describe this. Um, I mean, there, in a sort of like a mechanical way, there, at least how I work, there's uh, a series of steps that you take when you're finishing a piece. Um, so you'll, well, or when you're even working on a piece, um, you'll start with a block and you will. Um, you will rough it out so you will get um you'll find all the high points on the sculpture and slowly work your way around and not go into detail i think a lot of people think that when you carve something you basically start um like if you're carving a head you start with the nose and like make the perfect nose and then like work your way it would be like it was coming out yes. of water um <laughs> but you work the whole thing and it looks like a it looks like a marshmallow forever um and i've had to get a lot better at sharing process shots of my work um and like not be scared that people are going to be like, that looks like crap. Um, <laughs> because it sort of de it it demystifi demystifies the process. <laughs> it's not finished. <laughs> Stop yelling at me. Um, and sort of once it goes past, you sort of slowly refine it and refine it and refine it. Um, and you always leave. Um, you always try and work over it in a, in a uniform way um, so that you don't have any surprises and you don't run out of stone in certain areas. Um, and uh you don't just glue things back bits back you... on sometimes <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well yeah sometimes um <laughs> and then the final stage is um is undercutting so if you're carving ornament mm. um or any kind of sort of decorative feature then if you're carving flowers for instance you'll carve the entire flower and then at the end you'll carve underneath the leaves and then underneath the petals to give the shadow uh, real mm. definition and that's usually the last stage and so that's a fairly good gauge of whether or not a piece is done yeah the uh and you've mentioned uh we've touched on this a couple times you know you say i'm a stone carver and people give you this look like you know i, I don't know how to handle this right that's um, pretend that's a pretend job yes <laughs> oh that's <laughs> i'm sorry that's that's a that's a funny answer do you ever do you ever say that to people like i have a pretend job just <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> just like i'm, I'm a yeah it's just I, yeah no um what are some of the funniest responses you've had to uh i'm a stone carver and what are some of the most basic misconceptions uh, people have about stone carving in general like if the, if you could put out into the world um and correct a few things that people just get wrong all the time so that you can just be like just listen to this part and then you'll understand please don't ask me that you know 
what what would those things be? Uh, I mean, I think probably the biggest one is is uh, um, if people don't know what to ask, then they'll they'll focus on the um, the risk that you take when you're carving something uh, permanent. Um, so they'll concentrate on the mistake mm. and, and like the potential for mistakes and uh, and oh, I couldn't I couldn't do that. You're like, well, it's probably good that you weren't doing that, but. Um, <laughs> And I mean, I, like any any question is is a welcome question. Um, I think people tend to think that um, it's a much more romantic job than it actually is. They sort of imagine. Um, I've get, gotten this. People sort of always mention the. I think it's a quote that usually gets attributed to Michelangelo. Of although I've heard it attributed to someone's like grandpa before as well. Um, <laughs> where like you, you like you don't carve, uh, you don't carve an angel. You just take away all the stone that's not the angel, and then you free it from the stone. And I think a he didn't say that because um, that's silly. And if he did say that, I can almost imagine that he was just kind of tired of people like coming into his workshop and asking him questions. And so he just like was like, I don't know. I just whatever. Please leave. Um, so I think, yeah, they sort of imagine that it's just like this um, sort of wild expression of creativity and it, where arms are sort of windmilling at incredible speeds and uh, we're all just crying the whole time. And um, it's oh, the reality of it is quite, um, yeah, it takes a long time. It's quite boring sometimes. Uh, it's quite repetitive. It's uh, physically very demanding. Um, and sometimes less appreciated than you would like. Um, hmm. And yeah, I think it's always um, it's always nice to have people visit and actually see my workshop and see uh, like the tools that that I use and uh, the modeling stands and the old clay models and the casts that we have, um, and like work in progress. It's always nice to see, um, just to sort of, um, yeah, demystify it a bit and make it a bit more accessible. Yeah. It's funny cause the national geographic, um, video has lots of shots with you, uh, looking pristine with like a little chisel going like this. And then right near the end, it just shows you with the mask and all the billows of smoke as you're using a power tool. And I was like, I have a feeling it looks like that a lot more than just like, oh, it's just you like stepping back and like doing little <laughs> like yeah. ticks with the, with the chisel, right? Like, uh, I mean, I'm sure that's part of it too, but like people tend to think of it as like, yeah, you're just weeping in joy as you like gently tap away at the statue. And uh, it's just that yeah. kind of romantic view of like what the art, what artistry is, right? Yeah. And I, yeah, I had, um, uh, some student filmmakers come to the workshop to visit who wanted to use the space as a, um, as a sort of backdrop, uh, for a film they were doing. And they were very, uh, very disappointed because I think they really wanted to, um, to be like, so like, if you, if you break up with someone, do you just then like hate carve about the breakup for, 
for like months afterwards and like carve effigies of them. Uh, and I was like, I'm, I'm really sorry. Uh, I felt sort of, yeah, I felt very disappointing to them. And then after I got an email from them being like, we've decided not to film our film at your studio. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm gonna, did they, put my they did not actually on. say hate carved. Did they actually say hate carved? Uh, not, not specifically. It was definitely implied. Um, <laughs> I was like, I'm really, I'm sensing what you want from me, and I, I can't give it to you. Um, I can't. That's, that's I can't not lie. how it happens. Oh no. man, that's so funny. Um, so trying to avoid that. Um, <laughs> that romanticized view of what you do. Uh, as we kind of wrap things up here, what would you leave our listeners with? Uh, uh, what is it? What did they need to understand about art? What do you think is so important for us as humans uh, and to express ourselves in, in these kind of ways? So not, you know, not hate carving, but like, uh, what, what is, what, you know, I mean, talk to me about like the, the value of even that repetition and that mastery. I, I think that's something that's come out a lot in what you're saying. Well, I, I was listening to a previous episode that you did with, um, who's, um, Harry Maklin. Yes. Well, I, can't, I can't. Yeah, I won't pretend about... to, I say it right because it's like Harry Maiklin. You know, I can't. <laughs> Harry Maiklin. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was talking about the raft of the Medusa, which is one of my favorite paintings. And I found the way he described the effect of that painting um, mm. really, really interesting. And um, how the best, the best art can will draw. A bunch of people in and they will all have completely different reactions to it um mm. and i think that's probably i think that should be the goal of every artist and that's definitely my goal that it, yeah that it sort of draws in the viewer and gets them to um yeah it gets them to think about um things that are personal to them and if it makes them reflect on things that they hadn't thought about. Um, I think those are the most satisfying moments I have with, with people mm. when they respond to the work that I do is when they, they don't just say, Oh, that's pretty, which is, I mean, that's very nice to hear. But um, when they say, Oh, that reminds me of this specific thing. And mm. was that your intention? And I'm like, well, no, but that's not really, that's, it's like, that's the point of it is that it. um, that it forces you to think about something that you wouldn't normally think about. It draws people out and then in, right? Like it, mm -hmm. it creates something. Uh, and that's really uh, the work of beauty and the, the work that you do. Um, any final thoughts for us uh, as we kind of wrap up here? Obviously, want people to follow your Instagram. Uh, you know, we'll put link that and your site because this is uh, gorgeous work. Um, really, really a fan. Thank you. You know, I know I said that several times, but it's really it's something special. Um, so, uh, any any final thoughts? I think just wherever, um, to everyone in general, whatever city you live in, it's just always a good idea to uh, to look up and notice notice the buildings and notice how old they are and notice the the decorations on them because they're yeah that's free. You don't have to pay to see that. Um, and a lot of hard work went into it and a lot of thought for the most part. I mean, I'm obviously, you know, depends on what city you live in, but there, 
there are always those special yeah. buildings, I think, in just about any city where you can see that. It always makes me feel slightly, um, uh, slightly uh, unhinged when I think about the amount of work that goes into um, like medieval uh, Baroque Victorian buildings. It's like when you think about the vastness of space, you're like, how many man hours and how much, how many years went into making this? And mm. no one ever looks at it. Um, <laughs> it's just, we yeah. get, we grow bored. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah. absolutely, which is kind of a phenomenal human capacity to grow bored when there's so much to see. Yeah. It's an amazing mm -hmm. thing. Well, thank you so much. Um, and uh, to our listeners, if you uh, enjoyed the depth of our conversation, uh, please like, share, and subscribe so someone else can too. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you.